what is long COVID exactly? What are the symptoms? Who gets it? Uh, how many people are going to get it? These are all questions that I wanted answers to. And so I sought out Dr. Ami Mack. And Dr. Mack is the director of translational medicine at the Stanford Genome Technology Center and the Herzenberg Immunology Center. Dr. Mack is an expert in what's called MECFS, myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome. And there are some very close connections, some parallels, maybe even some uh, some connections directly with long COVID and MECFS. And people who suffer from MECFS or long COVID may not be able to function the way they did before they became ill. Taking a shower, preparing a meal often takes a massive commitment. Going to school, having a job, uh, they become almost impossible because people are bedbound or homebound. And this episode explores what long COVID is and gives some information to how we can be thinking about this going forward. Because I think all of us know somebody that had coronavirus. How are they doing? Have you checked on them? Have you have you touched base? Um, what are some of the things that we can all do to boost our biology so that if we get COVID, that or perhaps when we get COVID, we can give ourselves a better opportunity to not suffer from the symptoms afterward of long COVID. So we talk about the statistics, you know, something like 5.8 million people who have long COVID or who will have long COVID and that number continues to grow. What are the symptoms of it? This is, you know, a sort of a sobering episode, but I think it's really important to share this information. And I'll tell you, you know, I've been skeptical of the official narrative since the very, very beginning. And those of you who listen to this podcast, you'll know that I have been critical of the official narrative, of the statistics, of the handling of this pandemic since the very beginning. But it's also really important for me to check my opinions at the door and keep an open mind and have experts in their field come in and share what they know. And Ami is really, really great. She's she's skeptical too, and she's also an expert at the top of her field. So having her here to share this information with us is really, really important. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ami Mack. Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. And we're here with Ami Mack, who is the Director of Translational Medicine at the Stanford Genome Technology Center and the Herzenberg Immunology Center. Ami, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Hello. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm I'm happy to speak with you because this is not a topic that I think gets enough coverage, period. Uh, so I certainly have not done an episode on long COVID. I think we're still, I mean, globally learning more and more every day about uh, the long-term effects for people who have um, who have contracted it and uh, and and gone through it. So I think I would like to start with kind of a definition of terms, if you would. Mm-hmm. Um, what is long COVID? 
You know, I'm really glad that you asked that question because the definitions do become really important, especially as we move forward with what we're going to be talking about. So there's people who get the COVID infection. And, you know, I just want to be clear, there's some people who were infected by COVID early on who just didn't know they were infected because for multiple reasons, tests were not maybe as accurate. Maybe they just couldn't get access to a test. Um, so there's the people who get COVID who just don't recover. So if you get a cold, you recover over after a period of time, but there's people who just don't recover. So that's long COVID or long haulers. And there's multiple reasons for that. So if you have, if you, so then what, what are some of the symptoms of, of long COVID? So let's say you had you had, you know, maybe you maybe think you had it, or maybe you confirmed that you had it, and you have the symptoms for what a number of weeks or whatever, and then you recover, uh, or you maybe just recover a little bit. Are the symptoms of of long COVID or of a long hauler similar? Can they be similar to the initial symptoms that you have once you had it, once you once you contract it? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So some. So let's, you know, you get an infection and so you might get a fever, you might have a headache, you might have a cold, you might have some chest congestion, difficulty breathing if you get COVID, um, heart palpitations, dizziness, there's all sorts of symptoms that go along with an upper respiratory sort of an infection. Um, but what happens is, you know, some of the people continue to have the same kinds of symptoms. Sometimes they kind of wane and sometimes they get worse. Um, but there's, a, there's some differences that I wanna mention in terms of the severity of COVID and, and what we look for. So the patients who were really ill initially, who were in the ICU and intubated, so they were on a ventilator and they had a tube that went down their throat, um, being just in the ICU for a long period of time, if you can imagine, you're knocked out, you're laying there in a stretcher, um, IVs connected to you, can't eat, maybe they're feeding you through your IV line, you're not moving. So you can imagine people are losing muscle mass, um, a tube down your throat is not comfortable, so it messes with your vocal cords, you get a hoarse voice. Uh, you may have had a cough to begin with, and then once it comes out, it's, your, your throat is irritated so you can continue to have a cough. Um, so there's a lot of things that we look for in what we call post ICU patients. Mm. And that's whether it's COVID related or not. Um, now there are specific things that we find in people that have post ICU syndrome after having COVID. Uh, but that category of people, uh, that's one bucket of people. Mm. Then there's the people who, you know, they may never had symptoms or they just had like a little mild thing, like a cold or something even more where it felt like a flu um, or something even more, but they didn't require hospitalization. They were still able to breathe on their own. Their heart was still functioning okay. Um, those people are a whole nother category of people. Now, the people, so COVID can do damage in many ways. First of all, um, it can go to multiple parts of your body and the people who ended up in the ICU are the ones who had, you know, like ARDS. People may have heard of that, acute respiratory distress syndrome. And that's where basically it just damages all these different parts of your lung. And then you can't breathe anymore and you need a tube to help you breathe. And, and hopefully 
the ICU provides supportive enough cares that you know a lot of your lung can hopefully come back to normal and sometimes it's permanently go gone. So post-COVID, if parts of your lung are damaged permanently, then you're still gonna have symptoms like shortness of breath or whatnot. But if that hasn't happened to you, if you're not that person, then there's a whole nother group of people that have you know, a virus that attacked their heart muscle, literally. Um, COVID can also cause thickening of the blood. So it can have caused a, a heart attack, or you may have heard some people having strokes uh, from COVID. And then there's people who actually have lung damage, like we just talked about. And so that can happen and you can require ICU admission or not, depending on how much of the lung is really compromised. So, um, but there's a whole slew of people who continue to have symptoms who never required ICU hospitalization, who uh, didn't have necessarily cardiac testing that showed that there was lung damage or or heart damage, and they're still having symptoms. And some of those are really severe fatigue. Now, if you're not breathing well, because part of your lung is gone, you're going to have fatigue too. Mm -hmm. But some of these people didn't have those issues that you know doctors can find. And they're showing up in droves to doctor's offices saying, look, I mean, I'm so exhausted and I can't think straight anymore. And I can't remember my best friend's name when I try to call him on my cell phone and I forget words all the time. And I'm having a hard time um, just getting up to do my laundry, even though I had a full night's rest or I can't even get a full night's rest for some reason, all of a sudden I can't sleep. And there's so many symptoms that long haulers are presenting with. And that's, that's what we're trying to figure out. Um, what are the causes and how do we identify those in detail? And then um, in a very focused way, try to manage that. I think that this is, this is a really important topic because most of us know somebody who has had COVID or some people listening right now have had it. And there is a lot of questions that you're trying to answer uh, about what why this is continuing, um, what it's similar to, what are effective treatments. Um, can you walk us through a little bit about some of the work? Because we'll, we'll go back to, to long COVID, of course. But um, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing uh, at Stanford? Sure. So I came here from Michigan to Stanford two years ago. And the reason I became interested in coming here is because I was interested in why is it that some people with viral infections, not COVID, because COVID wasn't around when I first came here, um, why is it that people with viral infections just never get better? Now, my training is in physical medicine and rehabilitation, so I'm a muscle, nerve, bone, joint, spinal cord, brain injury expert. And I've seen lots of people with brain injuries, and I started to realize that patients who had had viral illnesses have these multi-systemic complaints and some of them really look like some of my brain injury patients mm. and so there were a lot of different infections that were causing what a lot of people know as chronic fatigue syndrome now i cringe at that i, I really don't like that um that word or those words to describe it because fatigue is a very big understatement for the way these patients feel and how they're suffering. Um, so just to kind of take you back a bit, chronic fatigue syndrome was called kind of the yuppie flu and oh, isn't, you know, 
made fun of and comedy acts and people are like well i'm tired too look at that guy he wants doesn't go want to go to work or whatever mm-hmm. but now it's been rephrased as myalgic encephalomyelitis and myalgic means myalgia is muscle or muscle pain and encephalo means brain and myelin is the coating of the nerves and itis is inflammation of that coating. So we know that there's muscles, nerves, and uh, signaling pathways to the brain and muscles that are kind of problematic. But even that name does not really explain in its entirety what this really is. So um, we call it ME-CFS for short. ME is the myalgic encephalomyelitis part, ME. And CFS is the chronic fatigue syndrome. So in 2015, the Institutes of Medicine, which are which is a body um, of people uh, that really coins names of illnesses and that validates uh, an illness. And then diagnostic codes that doctors like me can use when we're filling out your patient forms afterwards and doing our documentation, we put that down in our charts. And after that, the that goes to your medical biller and whatnot. And that's how we find out how many people in a country have a certain illness, because we can go through all these medical documentation records and say of all the people in the US, you know, 5% of people have this because we look at all the charts in the US, so to speak, that's kind of a generalization, but that's how it's done. Now, because there was no code for MECFS before, there was no way of identifying how many people really had it. And the reason this becomes so important now, I mean, it was just complete, like completely mind boggling to me that a year after I arrived here at Stanford, all of a sudden we have this massive pandemic. Mm. And my boss and colleague, the chair of the department that I work in, Ron Davis, was one of the former heads of the Human Genome Project and a you know, just a powerhouse in the genomics world. His son has MECFS and he brought me here to study it along with him and a lot of the researchers at Stanford who understood, you know, quite a bit about this disease. Now this becomes relevant because with COVID, it's also a post-viral illness, long haulers. So as I said before, there's some people who are going to have problems because they were in ICU. Some people are going to have this, that, and the other, but there's a whole slew of people and that, you know, the tests that doctors have access to aren't showing up as positive. So just to give you an, an understanding of how vast that is. So before COVID, we estimated that 2.5 million Americans had MECFS in the first place. And 80% of those patients were after some sort of an infection, especially viruses. So we were studying all these different viruses. There was epidemiologic studies that were performed and, you know, the herpes virus category of viruses. So there's certain viruses that fall under that in that family, um, Epstein-Barr virus or EBV that causes mono. You've probably heard of that. It can also cause what's called Burkitt's lymphoma or be implicated in that. That's a type of cancer. Um, cytomegalovirus happens in, in patients and then they develop this. Um, HHV6, HHV7, SARS, MERS, tick-borne diseases, different types of bacteria, and the list goes on, but many, many viruses. And what was really um, frightening for us as soon as COVID hit our borders was that 
you know, we knew that the studies and the literature that was coming out from the SARS-1, the first SARS outbreak and MERS, which are also both coronaviruses, that 10 to 12% of patients from all these other reasons develop ME-CFS and these post-viral syndromes. And now COVID was gonna be one of those because it's so genetically similar to SARS-1. That's why it's called SARS-2 because if you do some gene sequencing, it's the most similar to that virus. So here we are and we're saying, oh my gosh, there's, we're seeing this pick up in the infection rates and how easily it's transmitted and people are dying. And we were of course very worried about all the people that were dying. But simultaneously at our facility, we said there's gonna be people who have lifelong problems due to ME-CFS that are actually post-COVID long haulers. So the way that I like to tell people about this is I say the word long hauler, it's new to everybody else, to us. It's that concept of a virus causing long-term chronic systemic disease is not new to us, those of us who've been studying this and being seeing patients with it. So 20 to 30% of people who developed COVID became long haulers according to the CDC's current um, statistics. And what we found in the past is people from all these infections, 10 to 12% of those people never recovered from whatever that infection was. And that is an exorbitant amount. If we say even conservatively that 10% of the people who get COVID will never recover. Mm. I mean, think about that. As of just a couple of weeks ago, I gave a lecture to you know, some physicians that, you know, we have 33 million people in America as of just a couple of weeks ago that were COVID positive, not even including the people who didn't have access to a test before, no. Um, and not even including the people who never got tested because they were asymptomatic. That's 3.3 million Americans. And before COVID, if you have 2.5 million Americans who were living with post-viral illness already, that's 5. You know, 8 million people. And that's me being conservative. So what are we going to do if all these people are disabled because they can't think straight, they can't remember their buddy's name, they can't go back to work, they can't take a shower and cook food for themselves at the same time? What happens to the people whose children are dependent on these people? And what's even more um, frightening and shocking to me is all the people who have committed suicide because the medical system had no answer for them previously. Yeah. So I came here to study this because I was so sad about the impact that this is having on the nation. And I felt that it was, um, I felt compelled to really do this work yeah. and then COVID hit to top it all off. Wow. That really puts things into perspective when you talk about the numbers like that and how many, how many people are suffering unknowingly, uh, how many people will, will suffer in the future and you know not not to bash the medical system but obviously there are some there are some issues there's some problems that, uh, that that exist for people who are looking to you know improve their health outcomes improve their quality of life improve their wellness and it sounds like what well, what what avail what what are some of the treatment protocols now for people with MECFS or long haulers 
Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to make sure I touch upon is that 75 to 80% of patients who have this um, at some point in the course of their illness, if not through their entire illness, are either homebound or bedbound. So, you know, this whole quarantine situation that we've all been in, that's what their lives are like, period. Mm. Homebound or bedbound. But they don't get to work or do any of those things. So what's happened? So 30 years ago, there was this outbreak in Incline Village, uh, you know, Nevada. And there were all these women who had some sort of a viral illness. And there was a group of doctors, um, one in particular, Dan, Dr. Dan Peterson. I have so much respect for the man um, and, you know, his partner. And he saw all these people and he contacted the CDC because all these people were getting sick and they weren't recovering. And unfortunately, that wasn't, um, it wasn't really addressed at the time. This isn't going to be the first or, or the last time that we have this problem. It happened then. And so what's, what came out of that particular work is other physicians who started to say, wait a minute, we've got these patients who have these kind of same kind of symptoms and there'd be some sort of reports. But the problem has been historically that we don't, the tests that doctors have access to in the medical clinics, they don't show anything. Yeah. They don't, you know, your regular CBC or, you know, your blood cell counts, your electrolytes, you know, your kidney function, you know, those are often completely normal. And so the patients come in with these symptoms and the doctors are like, and they're all over the place. So it's confusing because a lot of what's happened in the medical community is, is that the medical system has become so super specialized that the heart guy's looking at the heart thing and he wants to tie it to the thyroid thing or the foot thing or whatever, mm -hmm. but he's been training and been dealing with the heart for all this time. And now he can't, it's hard for him to connect those dots because to top it all off, we get 10 to 15 minutes to see a person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's a very, very challenging problem from a systemic level. But what we do know is, is that there are lab tests that we have access to at some of these major academic medical institutions and in the research centers that physicians don't necessarily know to order or have access to. So there are certain comorbid conditions, we call them, that patients suffer from with ME-CFS. So I'm gonna lay, lay out some of those for you. So, yeah. and I'm gonna lay out some of the symptoms so that people who are watching, if they're suffering from any stuff, then you know, maybe they can start looking that stuff up and then they can go try to seek some help. Um, I'm certainly trying to educate the medical community about this so that we can get some help. Um, so number one, there's something called mast cell activation syndrome. So if you get a mosquito bite, or, I mean, a bee sting. Some people get, you know, get their lips swell up or they get this rash, um, like hives. And so those kinds of allergic reactions occur from a cell that's part of your immune system called a mast cell. So the mast cell, re re it releases histamine. That's why we have antihistamines for seasonal allergies and things that people are reacting to. So something happens in the system where parts of the immune systems in some people don't work anymore. Some of the people have, are immunocompromised after they get these viral infections. Um, and then some people are, have immune systems that start to attack themselves. 
So the immune system's job is to say, oh, here's something that's foreign and that's invading me. I need to identify it and kill it. Um, but it gets all confused somehow with some of these different types of pathogens or bugs or viruses or bacteria or whatever you want to call it. So these mast cells start going crazy and they start releasing so much histamine. They have these little packets of histamine in them. So mast cell activation syndrome is something that most doctors, I mean, we're not, nobody, we didn't learn this in medical school, mm. you know? So I think there's some docs who are, have become experts in this, but not many. Um, so then the, another one is small intestinal bowel overgrowth. So you can take antibiotics. Let's say you've been in the hospital or you had an infection at some point and it kills your normal bacterial flora and then other bad stuff starts to grow in there. And uh, things that aren't, you know, as healthy for us is what the symbiotic bugs that we're supposed to have in our guts and our intestines, you know, those are not, there's not a normal proportion of that, which is why some, you know, oftentimes people take probiotics or eat yogurt or fermented foods or whatnot. Um, then there's another, you know, and that also causes malabsorption at times. So people get nauseated or whatnot. Then we've got subclinical hypothyroidism. These bugs seem to start to cause immune problems that attack the thyroid and people start feeling tired. And, you know, the symptoms are, on, are ongoing, but there's all these different processes that are going on that in the normal medical literature, um, they're not part of our algorithm that we're taught to memorize in medical school. This is, you know, really forward thinking stuff. And now we've got droves of patients coming in. And so, you know, before where it seemed like one-off cases, you know, they weren't. Um, because as I said, there were 2.5 million people with this even beforehand. There's now all these people coming to the doctor showing up with this. So, you know, with HIV, there are 850,000 to a million people in the U.S. suffering from it. And, you know, we that research was backed by $5,000 per person per year. The research is less than five a year for this per person. Whoa. And that was before COVID. So for doubling that, it's going to be like $2.50 per person, maybe around that. So we got to do something about this is the point, you yeah. know, we are looking at a huge number of people who are not going to be able to work, take care of their families or friends aren't going to see them again. Um, their what one of the things I really want to say is if you know somebody who has COVID or not even just COVID, but somebody who has this weird set of symptoms, just because the doctor can't figure it out doesn't mean that nothing's wrong. One quick announcement and then right back into the episode. You know, as a biohacker, someone who is intricately interested in getting the absolute most output, most energy, highest level of lifestyle in my life, I realized that I had this giant gap in my experience because I didn't know what was going on inside of me. So I wanted to bring Eric from Inside Tracker in to tell us a little bit more about how this works and, and, and what the benefit is to you. So Eric, tell us a little bit about why Inside Tracker is the missing link for people who are looking to increase their health and performance. There's millions of people out there, you know, your listeners, millions of Americans and people across the globe that they want to take charge and they want to control their health and wellness. They want to increase their health span. They want to optimize their longevity. But we're sort of faced right now with this paradigm that's going on, this kind of rules-based 
reactive doctor knows best model. They're looking for something beyond that. They're looking for something really proactive that they can, they can manage. They're looking for something personalized, something that's really specific for them. They're looking for something action oriented that they can not just get information, but take that information, digest it and, and move beyond. And, and these people, you know, they're not afraid to kind of look inside, as you mentioned, look in, and find the truth. I really enjoyed my experience with Inside Tracker. Again, I think it's the it is the thing that all of us need to know is what's going on inside of our body. Where are we right now? How can we make the changes? And the the platform has has made made it so easy for me to know exactly what I need to do in order to live longer with more energy and more vitality. And uh, so I just want to say thank you, Eric. Thanks for thanks for helping create such an amazing platform. Well, thank you. And um, thanks to your listeners. And to all your listeners out there, please come check out Inside Tracker at insidetracker.com slash optimal. That's Sean's personal site. And uh, he's got some great discounts for you to come to come uh, explore and, and try Inside Tracker yourself. Okay, back to the episode. That's a really important reminder. <clears throat> I, I think it's I think it's really important to keep in mind that that we really don't know what people are going through. And it's it's easy for for us to call somebody lazy or to, to say, oh, come on, you know, get over it, you know, go to work, get up. And and this is, you know, this is for any number of the, the illnesses that, uh, that, that you listed. And I think it's really important for us to have some empathy and some care for those type of people. Um, because, yeah, I mean, if, if, if a doctor is like, Hey, like of all the tests that I can look at, you're, I don't, I don't see anything that's alarming yet. You're having forgetfulness and brain fog and can't sleep and muscle soreness and stuff like that. That that's, that's a, that's a tragic scenario. And, um, you know, I wonder, do you, do you personally know anybody that, that has long COVID? A lot. Do you? A lot of people. I mean, because I do this work, I mean, I have people constantly reaching out to me, especially, you know, after speaking at things like this. I have friends from high school, from elementary school, people that I met randomly somewhere who remember me from a store in Michigan, try to seek me out. And it's not just me. All my friends who are physicians are like, oh my God what the heck is going on? Like not all of a sudden they're all calling me about all of this. So, you know, the, the one thing I wanted to talk about that, you know, you just brought up was we keep telling people to push forward. But one of the things that's really important for people to understand about MECFS and some of the people who have long COVID that will be part of that group is that at the fundamental core of things, there are cellular metabolism, there are they're biochemical processes in their body that allow them to make energy. It's broken. Hmm. Can't make energy. You know, we go to sleep at night, wake up in the morning. We're like, okay, you know, I was tired yesterday, but I got a good night's rest. I'm ready to go. These folks, literally the mitochondria, which are these little organelles inside of your cells, they break down and they can't make the same amount of energy. So, you know, ATP is our energy subunit in our body, our, our basic building, our basic unit of, of energy. And that's just per molecule of glucose that gets utilized by our systems to make energy. 32 ATP for a really, like for a normal person and what we call aerobic metabolism, 
We're talking and two ATP. If you're talking about anaerobic metabolism, that's these people are switching from aerobic to anaerobic so quickly that they all of a sudden it's like this battery just powers out. Hmm. And so um, what we have to really be careful of is right now the the general rehab principles recommend graded exercise therapy for for people. And we do that, you know, we slowly incrementally push people forward so their body can build what they need to. And then, you know, and we do that on a consistent basis to help people get stronger. I mean, that's right. That sounds about right. We do it for athletes. We do it for people who are sick or who've had other things. But in this particular condition, you push someone too far and you can harm them. Hmm. The physician first do no harm. And that's kind of screaming from the mountaintops because those patients, if you push them, they will get worse. Hmm. And so what I'm trying to do is figure out what is the healthy parameter for which we can tell people keep, you know, pushing forward, but don't. So what I would say is right now, you know, somebody's child, you know, this MECFS seems to peak um, in the late teens and early twenties, mid twenties. And we think it's because of hormonal changes. And it also takes a second peak again at around, you know, the the sixties, early sixties, late fifties, you know, once again, hormonal changes doesn't mean you can't get it at other times, but think about who are the people who aren't getting vaccinated yet? It's the young ones, right? Yeah. They got over it. They're like, okay, cool. I got this. I'm good to go. But I don't know if that virus is going to reactivate and it's sticking around somewhere, just kind of hiding, kind of like the chicken pox turns into shingles and it hides. I don't know if that's what's happening with this bug. And there's some indication that it is. Hmm. So we have access to all these research tests that show us things are really wrong with these people that other doctors don't have access to. We know there's a subset of people whose immune systems just don't work anymore and they're going to keep getting infection. And then it may reactivate other infections that were laying dormant in their systems. We know that there's a bunch of people who have these thyroid disorders and some of the testing that normal, that is part of our algorithm, that's, it, that's not the way that, you know, we need to approach this because there's other hormones that are related to the th- thyroid that can be low, you know, not be the ones that we've always talked about in medical school or or whatnot. We know that there's patients who have genetic um, predispositions. And so we're trying to put this big puzzle together and we have been for quite some time and we've been screaming for help. Why, why there hasn't been more resources put into this? I can't answer that. Yeah. I really don't know. Um, But I can certainly tell you, this is an emergency for the future of this country and the world. You know, we need to really ignite everybody and not just the people who are sick the people who are sick are too tired and sick to do anything yeah so every single person watching this is going to know someone that that affects them that is related to them your neighbor your kid your you know aunt your uncle your brother your whomever the guy at the donut store we are all going to know someone who has this Hmm. So it's our job as Americans and as members of life to do something to help those that don't can't do it for themselves. We can't have marches for these people because they can't march. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
as I connect this to, you know, the, the, the main goal of this podcast, which is to optimize performance and to, to, you know, uh, increase energy to optimize hormones to, you know, make the lifestyle changes necessary in order to, to be your best self. And we're, and I do that in lots of different ways with lots of different guests. I can't help but wonder about what sort of things, if someone is bed bound or homebound and they can't really do much of anything, what sort of things can they take? Can they eat? Can they do? Can they breathe in order to have a better day so that today is better than yesterday and that tomorrow can be better than, than today. And so I wonder about, you know, means of naturally decreasing inflammation, you know, dietary choices like, you know, switching to, to paleo or keto, you know, not ordering in fried foods, uh, you know, watching your caffeine, which is a tough thing to do when you don't have any energy. And, and so all of these lifestyle factors and these biohacking tools that we have, blue blocking glasses to, you know, whatever. Uh, I wonder about what sort of solutions these, these long haulers and these folks suffering from uh, MECFS, what can they adopt that will actually like just give them a little bit more energy and, and what will they do once they have that little bit more energy? Like is stretching a good idea is, is walking inside your house, a good idea just to get your, you know, exercise the lymph, you know, what sort of detoxification protocols can they do in order to, um, to get their strength back. And, um, and I wonder, is it too early to even be thinking about what sort of integrated natural or holistic approaches, you know, mega dosing vitamin C or turmeric, or, you know, what's, what sort of things can they do? Do we know yet how, how we can help these folks? So that's a, these are all phenomenal questions. And I can certainly say some of it, we don't know. I mean, just like we don't know for healthy people also, right. We don't have like scientific studies, but we certainly have an idea of you know, how the body works and what certain things are supposed to do. And so it just makes sense. Um, so I, I, as a physician, I hate giving, you know, very long, um, sort of broad uh, recommendations, but there are certain things I can say, very generally speaking. So one of the things I want to talk about is, and I touched upon this before, rest. Um, you know, provided you're somebody who has all the resources in the universe and don't have to go to work or don't have responsibilities, or don't have to do anything if, cause you can, it's okay, you know, and the, the number one thing you can do and people that I talk to who have long COVID and MECFS, you know, they can start feeling, you know, I would say start, start to trust your body. And there's certain symptoms that you'll start to notice. Some people start to notice a little bit of a, of a little weakness of their eyelid. Some people start feeling like their face gets hot and flushed and like almost like they have a fever, but they may not actually have a fever. Um, in fact, MECFS patients tend to have a lower body temperature for whatever reason. Hmm. There's a set point difference in the part of the brain that controls your fever. 
Um, and we can talk all about the autonomic nervous system and, and all of that. Um, obviously, when you're, something like this happens to oneself, there's, it's traumatizing, it's stressful. It's already been a traumatizing year and it's stressful year for everybody. But then all of a sudden your life is changing and you can't do things anymore. Um, and now all of us, you know, are slowly starting to trickle outside and we don't get to join the world as we know it. So I would really recommend, you know, when, when you're under severe stress like that, um, it's very hard to emotionally cope. So I would say, make sure to get any kind of psychological help and mm. emotional support if you need to. Um, make sure, I am a huge proponent of meditation. Yeah. Um, huge. And I think that that's, if you can't do anything else, like what else can you do other than like, let your mind race? I mean, and so trying to focus that and just let go and give in to certain things, that's only going to help your body heal. So your body only has a certain amount of energy. And MECF as patients, their battery is, let's say a, a regular person's is 100%. You know, they might, their starting point at the beginning of the day might be 60%. So pacing their activities, when they start to notice certain symptoms, go lie down, go lie down. We know that there's blood flow issues in these people. We know they're not getting enough blood flow. Oftentimes, not everybody, I can't say for certain, but there's a large percentage of people and the data shows that they're not getting adequate blood flow. So you lay down and you get the blood that starts to come back to your head and start, people start to feel better. Hmm. If you're sitting there, get a foot rest so you can elevate your legs to help the blood flow go back. Um, there's something called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardic syndrome, and then small fiber neuropathy. Those are also two problems that we as physicians need to get better at identifying and treating because that is actually a two problems that are um, separate diagnoses but related that are dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system so the first thing i would do is say you know in terms of your diet okay the more crap you put in your in your mouth or in your body that it your body can think is foreign and it's already like wigging out over the fact that there's this virus that went into it and it's all confused your immune system now you're adding more toxins for the body to get confused with a lot of the people get the horrible mast cell activation syndrome and be, get what's called multiple multiple chemical sensitivity so there's all these like cross-functional names that can be really frustrating so i know that's really hard but you know limit um those kinds of things and you're right you know how, what do you do I'll drink lots of water lots of water if your blood pressure is low eat lots of salt um and i know that sounds like so opposite to what you hear any doctors say but a lot of these people's blood pressures are low yeah yeah we, we've done we've done a couple of episodes on this sort of debunking the salt thing and how, how low in magnesium, potassium, and sodium most people are, especially people who are eating, eating cleanly without processed foods. Yeah. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but, um, I, I think, I think that it, it's, we, we have to look to natural yes. stuff. We, 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 yes. you know, we have to, we have to look at adaptogens. You know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever tried, um, you know, we have a friend in common. Um, I don't know if you've tried the Mojo gummy, uh, which is packed with mushrooms and adaptogens. It gives you a little bit of boost of energy. I think adaptogens are great. I mean, I could, you know, offer a slew of 
different types of natural, you know, natural products. Um, quite frankly, I'm, you know, what I had today before we started, I had my yogi Ayurvedic, like natural antihistamines. I mean, I'm from yeah. India for God's sake, yeah. so, you know, but I mean, the one thing that I want to be really careful about is, okay, so yes, quercetin, turmeric, you know, all the anti-inflammatories that, you know, you've probably already talked about patients with people with low vitamin D levels are not handling this virus. Well, keep yeah. your vitamin D levels up. Um, but make sure you're checking them because you can overload on vitamin D, believe it or not. Vitamin C, absolutely. Um, we want to have adequate iron levels. You know, there's a lot of problems with blood flow and whatnot. So you want to oxygenate that body and make sure that you have enough iron that carries the oxygen in your red blood cells. Um, and then you want to make sure your body keeps producing enough red blood cells so you can get that oxygen around there. Um, deep breathing exercises. Uh, there are so many things I can suggest, um, clean eating, lots of water, um, you know, what filtration devices for your water, because now, you know, unfortunately our food supply is just kind of, yeah. And, you know, there's problems with the water supply. We found virus, you know, actually in Germany along or in Europe somewhere, maybe Germany, that before we ever thought about it being in Wuhan, there was actually virus that was found in the water supply in Europe. And so, you know, these things happen and, you know, it's, very, it's, it's orally fecally transmitted too. So, you know, bathrooms and whatnot, making, you know, all the regular stuff that you've already been hearing, masks, wearing, like wash your hands, blah, blah, blah. Um, but most of all, you can, your immune system is your, is your, is your, what can, will protect you from this, from yeah. ever getting it in the first place. You build, you make that stronger, you can lift more weight, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to, to that point too, you know, for people who are, who are either homebound or bed bound and they're not getting exposure that will actually boost their immune system. They're not having their, it's, it's going totally untested. You know, most of us didn't get sick for a year, you know, COVID obviously, but, but, you know, like me and my family, we didn't have a cold all yeah. of 20, all of 2020 and yeah. into 20, finally got one, you know, <clears throat> a month and a half ago. Um, and, and well, that goes to show you what social distancing actually did for us. Right. Right. Well, but it, and, not to say that that's a good thing entirely either, but I'm just, yeah. Well, and, and I, you know, I, you know, we know that that's how babies build their immune system is by sticking things in their mouth. And if you haven't had any, any exposure or have, or given your, your immune system, uh, a chance to really like click on and um, yes. and handle yes. sort of exposures from the outside, you know, tree pollen or pet dander or whatever. Then, when when you do feel good enough to go outside and you go out and get exposure to pollen or you know whatever, then you know you may run the risk of having a, a really bad reaction to that because your immune system has totally gone untested for, for a while. Right. Yeah. The immune system is much like a muscle. You know, you got to push it a little bit. You yeah. got to expose it a little bit. And, you know, I have friends who, you know, slather antibacterial lotions all over the kids and won't let them go outside and do stuff. And I'm like, look, your kid's going to be the first one to catch everything out there. Right. You know, right. so, I mean, that there, I always say that, you know, balance is kind of the important, the important 
point to this. And we all make our own choices about where that, that line is for us. Right. Being informed so that you know that, but like, yeah, do I recommend that you stick someone in a bubble? No, absolutely Mm -hmm. not. Yeah. Do I think if there's a virus out there that could kill you or make you chronically ill for the rest of your life, that you just have to, you know, be aware of that and do the best to make your inside strong enough? Certainly. Yeah. As we, as we sort of look, look forward into the future of this thing and understanding what sort of an impact this is going to have on healthcare, um, makes me makes makes me nervous. I know it makes you nervous that, that we don't have a we don't have a plan yet. We don't have funding and resources for this. But this this is going to be a major yeah, I think you use the word crisis. Like this is going to be a major major problem for um for for healthcare going into the future. Like what what does the future I mean it's I don't we didn't we didn't mean to do a doom and gloom sort of I- no, we didn't conversation here, but this is a serious topic and, and it, and it, you know, it requires some, some foresight a little bit, like how big of a deal is this going to be? How bad is this going to stress our, our medical systems? And if it, and if it's as bad as we, as, as you're saying it is, and if we think it is, what can we do to, um, to find alternate paradigms to create new systems that are better than the systems that we have now? Oh gosh, the list goes on, but I'm going to start with 17 to $24 billion is what is lost to our, the U.S. economy from MECFS before COVID. Now we're talking about more than double that. And that's before this thing is even over. So you want to talk about an economic collapse? What we were scared of this whole last year? How are we going to support Think about how many people, it's not just the people who can't go to work. It's the family member who can't go to work because they have to take care of their family member. Mm. Do we have enough homes to take care of debilitated, you know, people who are completely debilitated? I mean, every single aspect of our lives, if we do not take heed, we did not do a great job of being prepared for COVID, unfortunately, in the first place. Shame on us if we don't take heed in the message that the researchers and I were so busy working that there's not many of us that have the chance to come out and tell the stories. We're like sitting there all day long, like, ah, this is gonna, this is about to happen. The same way we were doing that last year in January. And I don't want to see we had an acute breakdown of the economy and people dying and devastation everywhere and families that are completely torn apart. We're about to have that now. But like I said, not only is this going to be a, like a, 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 it's not just death. This is a living death, this illness, mm. you know? So if we don't do this and financially, emotionally, um, like this could really tank things for our nation and the world. So yeah. I don't know how else to make it more clear that everybody needs to be part of this solution because I don't, I I hate being like the catastrophizing person, you know, and I'm not, I meditate, you know, but at the same time, this is the reality. This is what we're facing. So we need to gather 
ourselves and our troops of people who are healthy go to our government go to you know and say we need funding for the research we need you guys to make sure that this is handled we need to make sure there's enough hospital beds we need to make sure there's enough what's how do you provide social support for so many people i mean these are people who are actively working and supporting their families yeah what are you going to do for the kids whose parents are both sick yeah how are they going to live insurance companies are not providing it for the patients right now they don't recognize this as a real illness and i and it's wrong that one diagnostic test that we have that shows the breakdown of this metabolic system requires exercise it's called the cpet the 48 hour cardiopulmonary exercise test so now you're asking patients who've lost their their careers maybe are limited in terms of money to go pay thousands of dollars to get a test that's likely going to make them more sick because it's going to put them into an energy deficit mm. and then they don't have long-term disability coverage imagine that's you or your brother or your sister and i want to tell the young people out there go out and have a great time with your life do not let things stop you but don't don't pretend don't let anybody like let you you know, pretend in your mind that everything's okay. I don't want to see anybody go through what I've seen these young kids go through and live from 19 and 23 all the way to 65 bedridden. That's not life. I don't want to see that happen to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's, you know, there's, it's, what to do me, we do? well, yeah, it's, I mean, it seems like there's a couple of different things here, right? There's, there's policy and resources as part of this. There's, um, what does care look like? And it has to be virtual because people are not mobile. Um, there's what are some lifestyle factors that you can do to not only boost your health and, and, and have lots of vitality so that you're not affected as much, you know, and then there's, you know, protocols and, and, and there's a lot of different parts of this. Like what are protocols that you can do? Um, if you, if you are a long hauler, you know, um, you know, t tell me more about the advocacy. I know that you're you're involved now in in um, in in advocating for awareness for this. You know what 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 can what what's one simple thing that a healthy, able-bodied person can do to to affect some change? Show this recording hmm. to twenty people that you know, not nineteen at least 20 people that you know. Let everybody understand that the sick people or the people who are your friends and family that are going to get sick need your help. Mm. Don't abandon them. And let everybody, for those of us who are able to do something, whatever skill set we have, call up some of the advocacy groups, ME Action, Solve ME, the Long COVID Alliance, Call them up and say, look, I'm great at graphic design. I'm sing songs. I can do every, what do you guys want me to do? I can volunteer. I will like, you know, dress up like a clown and, and make people laugh for sick. I mean, these people are sitting alone, like suffering. There's so many things we can do. Plug into some of these groups with us. If you got some extra cash, donate it to the Stanford Genome Technology Center directly. And so that we can use it for research. 
um, get your friend who's struggling, you know, uh, you know, some organic home delivery meals. There's so much we can do, but number one, start with making people understand and aware and then hug your friends. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Can you list those? I'll put them in the show notes, of course, but can you list those, those support groups again? I certainly can. So solve ME, um, ME action, the long COVID Alliance. I'll give you, I'll give you a bunch of resources actually. And um, where people can start to plug in. And most of all, the Stanford Genome Technology Center, Stanford has a huge consortium of people from every research background that you can imagine and doctors that are putting an entire team together. And like I said, my, the head of the human genome project, along with, you know, the person who created some of the most amazing immunologic technologies, that's where I'm at. We can do this. Mm. We've got the people. We don't have the money. Mm. We're working on it. And I don't, I don't want to sound like the, the money grab. So that's why I'm like, look, if, if what you can do means, uh, you know, help write a letter to a congressman or, you know, put something up as a fundraiser on social media because you're, you know, do whatever. We all have skills and the people who have the skills who are, who are struggling, um, they don't, they can't do that for themselves. So do it for them. Do it on behalf of the people that you love. Wow. That's, that's, I love that. That's, that's important. You know, understanding the, what we're up against, what's coming down the pike is, is important to know and to, and to have, you know, some things that you can make actionable about is really, really important. I like the idea obviously of, of sharing, sharing this because I knew very little about it. I'd heard the term long COVID. Um, I hadn't heard of MECFS, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with MS and fibromyalgia and those sorts of things, but, but, you know, combining the two, I think we just need to stay informed and stay hopeful and optimistic that we can create, we can create solutions, you know, before I mean, as, as humans, we are amazing. Yeah. We build skyscrapers. We fly, you know, unfortunately gravity is coming down. Okay. Mm. There's, there's no stopping gravity unless we have a soft platform to fall upon. So we mm. need to build that. We need to start thinking and planning and putting resources into that now. Yeah. What's, what's one question that I didn't ask that you think uh, is important to note or something that you really want to share that, uh, that we didn't get to for today? I don't know if I'm going to regret saying this. My, one of my favorite um, quotes is courage is action despite fear. I have MECFS and um, I'm very, very fortunate to be a medical professional, to be able to advocate for myself. Um, so this isn't about me, but it's about everybody else. I mean, 20 years of not knowing what was wrong, many, many years of training and researching and looking and trying to figure out what to do to help myself. Never want anyone to experience this ever. I really don't. I've seen too many lives just completely decimated, but we can do something about this. And that's the beautiful rainbow on top. As humans, we're amazing. Hmm. 
if we all band together and can do wonderful things. Thank you for sharing your truth. I really appreciate that. Thank you for listening and having me on. Yeah. The last question that I ask is a fill in the blank. And this can be based on anything and everything that you know. This can be as broad or specific as you want. And you can elaborate as much or as little as you want. But if you would please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. How to reach within their souls and have empathy for one another. I know that's probably not the answer to what we were thinking, but you know, we all got to get connected again, man. You're here. That's beautiful. Well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure to connect with you and to have this important conversation, you know, our conversations outside of this recording, you know, have been, um, been upbeat and bubbly and irreverent and funny and <laughs> and then you know we have this important conversation I, I i you're an inspiration ami uh i really i really do appreciate the work that you're doing and the foresight that you have and um i just want to thank you for for being here on the optimal performance podcast thank you so much sean and hopefully i can come back and be you know the other bubbly you know irreverent fun girl that this needed to get out and thank you for helping me do that yeah i'll definitely have you back anytime <laughs> thanks well i know that that's heavy stuff i know that that is a dire look at what's coming but it part of living an optimal life and increasing your level of health and longevity and performance is to know what's going on know what's out there and if there was never if there wasn't a good reason to take your own health into your own hands and not rely on doctors and not rely on the care of physicians that really oftentimes really struggle to help you live optimal, this is the time. This is the time to really activate towards your health. Take vitamin D, take vitamin C, cut out sugar, you know, get lots of sleep, have love in your life. These sorts of tenets that I've been harping on for years Now's the time to do it. If you needed a reason, now's the time to do it. Uh, on that note, I want to just give you a quick update on the Virtual Biohacking Assistant. We are changing the name and we are moving forward. And the two pilot programs that we did with some of you who participated, I just want to say thank you. It's helped us hone the message. It's helped us really kind of get a better idea of what is going to make this the best and most powerful health platform on the planet. And I do mean that. And we, we are serious about this. Uh, so thank you. It's coming. We're working on it. Haven't talked about it much, but uh, we're working on it very hard daily. It's going to be killer. Uh, also want to say thank you to Natural Stacks who continue to provide just incredible supplements. Uh, their, their vitamin D3 is a really high quality product. And uh, I've also been taking the biocreatine recently. I've been, you know, trying to get fit, get strong, you can see my sort of transformation, my hair growth, my my muscle, uh, lean muscle increase on real Sean McCormick on Instagram. But uh, the biocreatine that I've been taking uh, from Natural Stacks has really helped me have energy and uh, and put on lean muscle. So thank you to Natural Stacks. Uh, you can go to naturalstacks.com and use the code OPP15 for 15% off. If that code doesn't work for you, please just let me know. Um, all right, everybody. I will see you next week on the internet.